Uh, again, happy Easter. Uh, this is, again, one of those weird Sundays. Normally, Easter is one of our biggest services in church, and, uh, and yet, because of circumstances, uh, you know, uh, we have a handful of our tech team here and, of course, our worship team. And, uh, but I'm, I'm thankful that you guys are tuning in and watching and streaming online. And, uh, and if you've got a Bible this morning, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to talk about Jesus, of course, this morning. The title of the message is Jesus Is. Jesus is. And of course, at Easter, uh, every, every believer all over the planet really celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every single day as a child of God, as a Christian. But the world has to stop and consider who it is, who exactly Jesus is and was, who it was that died on that cross 2,000 years ago. Who was that man? And, uh, and so this morning, we're going to look in Colossians chapter 1 and, and study a passage of Scripture that reveals really what I would call the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. And, and this is really important this Easter Sunday because, listen, too small of an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, if you think too little or, or not enough of who Christ really is, well, then you're going to be tempted just to give a nod to that moral teacher or, or, or that popular prophet of his day at the turn of the millennium who was just misunderstood and ultimately murdered because of disagreeing opinions or political motives. You know, if you give too small of an understanding of who Jesus Christ really is, the truth is that you'll be tempted to be comfortable in your sin and use other people as the measuring stick of holiness and righteousness, and you'll never come to the place of truly repenting of your sin and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, listen, if Jesus was just a man, well, why should I ask him for forgiveness? If we're not careful, we will have too small of an understanding of who Jesus Christ really is, and even if you are saved and born again, too small of an understanding of who Christ is, and you'll continue to walk in your carnality as a born-again believer, never fully realizing that you'll stand before him and give an account for every work and for every idle word. And, and, and so as we get into Colossians 1 this morning, again, this is not necessarily the most popular Easter passage, if you will, but I believe for, the, for us this morning, this is the appropriate passage uh, to con, con, conduct a study and, and learn about the resurrected Christ uh, this passage of Scripture, probably more than any other, is the single greatest passage on the supremacy of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, as we study this passage together this morning, we are going to see the power of who Jesus Christ really is. We're going to see that he patented the entire universe. We're going to see that he purchased a possession, and he purchased that possession with his own shed blood. We're also going to see that he, he and he alone deserves the preeminence. In other words, he deserves to be first in all things and in everything. And we're also going to see that by him, we can have peace with God. And through him and through his shed blood, we can be pardoned for our sins. The truth is, Colossians chapter 1, and especially this portion, it just points to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, again, this morning, the title of the message is Jesus Is. And I want to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 to 20 as we begin this morning. The Bible says in verse 14, in whom, 
and the whom is the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of, listen, his cross, his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. This morning, we are going to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme, and he is many things, as we'll study in the passage this morning. And so, again, I want to ask you to pray with me as we study the Word of God. Father, we need you this morning. Uh, Lord, may today the person of Jesus Christ be communicated clearly through your word. And, and Lord, help us to see that, that Christ is not just some good man. He's not just some prophet. He's not just some moral teacher, but he is what the Bible says he is. And Father, because of that, Lord, we need to, to, to position our understanding of who Christ is according to the scriptures. And so Lord, give us victory today. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom from your word. For those that may not know Christ today, Lord, I pray that you draw them to you through your Holy Spirit. And Father, for those that maybe are, 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 are saved but not walking with you today, Lord, may you draw them back into fellowship today uh, because of who you are and who Christ is. And may you be glorified today in everything that's said and done. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's interesting is that in this portion of Scripture, in verses 14 to 20, it begins and it ends talking about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are kind of the bookends, if you will, of, of what Jesus did and what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. As a matter of fact, that's the thing that we celebrate at Easter. The fact that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and forever is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But I want to back up and help us understand from the Bible who Jesus Christ really is. Because you need to understand who, who it was that died on that cross for your sin. And so as we, as we begin to study this portion of Scripture and we begin, we're going to actually begin in verse 15. We'll get back to verse 14 in just a second. But the Bible says in verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God. And, and I want you to write in your notes, if you're taking notes this morning, number one, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. Now, there's a key principle that you want to take note of according to the Bible. The key principle is this. The Word of God teaches us that God is invisible. You can't see him. He, 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 he's unseen. He's, he's, he can't be seen with the physical eye. We get that out of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. The Bible says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. John chapter 4 and verse 24 tells us that God is a spirit, capital S, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. And then John chapter 1 and verse 18 says that no man hath seen God at any time. And so listen, God is invisible. And the second key principle is the kind of a continuation. And yet Jesus Christ is the image of God. He is the image of God. He is He is God manifest bodily that we can see, that we can behold. The Apostle John said that we've seen him and we've felt him and we've touched him and we've heard him, we've spent time with him, we've ate with him, we've fellowshiped with him. He is God manifest in the flesh. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, and and, and many times we, we look at this passage and we talk about creation in general. In verse 20, it says, The invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And and many times we'll go to that passage and we'll say, man, you can learn a lot about God, the invisible things of God, through creation. And that's a true teaching. That's a true statement. But I also want you to know and, and, and want you to understand, you can understand the invisible God by what's made, specifically the fact that God was made in the likeness of man through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, but made himself, concerning Jesus Christ, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made, listen, in the likeness of men. God's Word tells us that we can clearly see the invisible things of God by looking at what was made. Well, Jesus Christ was made in the likeness of men. He uh, he is and was and forever will be the invisible God, but when He made Himself in the likeness of men, well, listen, He could be seen. He could be touched, he could be handled, he could be heard. And listen, God himself made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and made himself a man so that you could clearly see that there is a one one true God. So that you can see visibly the invisible God, even God's eternal power and Godhead. Because in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2 and verse 9, For in Him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was bodily manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that Christ, who is the image of God should shine unto those who have not yet believed in the gospel. And so you need to understand, number one, this morning, church, listen, who it was that died on that cross 2,000 years ago was Jesus. But you need to understand, it's, it's God. Jesus is God Almighty. And then the verse goes on to tell us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, number two, Jesus is the firstborn. He's the firstborn, verse 15 says he's the firstborn of every creature. And and it also says that he's the firstborn from the dead. 
And, and as we study the Bible and as we look at the scriptures, the word firstborn generally is associated with a, a physical birth, an earthly birth. Uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 25, talking about Jesus Christ's birth to Mary, he says uh, concerning Christ, he says, uh, Joseph knew her not, Mary, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And again, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothing and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, what's interesting is that certainly is an application, but the Bible says that Christ was the firstborn of every creature. Now, what does that mean? Because, because again, God uses his wording very specifically. You know, there are some cult groups and false religious systems, such as Mormons, that would have you to believe that Jesus Christ was born spiritually at some point in the past, that God the Father, at, 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 for a season of time, was actually childless, so he wasn't a father, and then Christ was born into creation before creation. Well, the, the reality is, if that's really true, then Jesus Christ is not eternal. And if Jesus Christ is not eternal, then he's not God. And, and what Mormons and other cult religious groups like to do is they, they like to strip away the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They like to narrow down and have a very small understanding of who Christ is. But Jesus Christ is God. He is eternal. He is from the beginning and forever will be. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is eternal. And so, and so what does this thing of firstborn of every creature really mean? Well, you know, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 concerning Christ's birth. In Luke 1 and verse 35, the Bible says, The angel answered and said to her, unto Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Jesus Christ was the first, in, in his humanity, Jesus Christ is the first man to be born, listen, by the Spirit of God and with the Spirit of God. In other words, he didn't have a human father. The Holy Spirit of God is what caused Mary to conceive, and, and he was born of the Spirit. Adam, all the way back in Genesis, didn't even have that opportunity. Adam wasn't born. Adam was created from the dust of the ground that God had already made. And so uh, God had created this earth, and he created the, 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 the dust of the ground, and he made. He took that dust, and he made a man, and into that man he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that man became a living soul. And, and it was at that point that Adam became spiritually alive. And by the way, when God made him, he made him a fully mature man. He didn't make him a baby. And he had the capacity to reproduce. We know that because the Bible tells us that that was part of the commission that God gave Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. But Jesus Christ is the firstborn man to be born of the Spirit of God and by the Spirit of God 
from the womb. By the way, you know the story in, in Genesis. Listen, Adam sinned against God. Eve sinned against God. And, and because of their sin, they died spiritually. And there's not a single man or woman that was born from Adam until Jesus Christ that was born by the Spirit of God and with the Spirit of God until Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is the firstborn, listen, of every creature. That word is so important because 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says that therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. And I'm thankful to God that Jesus Christ, listen, when we are in Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, Christ doesn't make you better. He doesn't improve upon the old. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't make you more proficient. He makes you new. He makes you different. He makes you a new creature. That's why Christ was the firstborn of every creature. Because listen, when you now accept Christ, the Bible teaches that you're born again. And you're born of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God seals you until the day of redemption. And you become a child of God. So, so Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of every creature. As we go a little further in the passage, it also tells us that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And, and that's what, again, we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate His resurrection let me just say this, Jesus wasn't the first person in the Bible to be raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, he himself raised people from the dead, and ultimately those people would experience death again. But Jesus Christ, listen, was the first person, God in the flesh, the God-man. He was the God-man that was dead and then raised again, listen, to never, to never die again. And he was also resurrected, friends, with a glorified body, with a glorified body, to never taste death again. Revelation 1 and verse 5 tells us this, and it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, listen, in his own blood. That's what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate his resurrection, the fact that he is first, firstborn of the dead and from the dead to never die again. That's why salvation is so powerful because, listen, when you know Christ, well, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. You'll never taste the sting of death ever. Uh, you may die physically, but your eternal uh, security is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, listen, Christ is God. Christ is the firstborn. That's who died on the cross for our sin. Number three, Jesus Christ is creator, maker, and sustainer. And, and Colossians 1 and verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And so Christ himself is the creator 
and maker and sustainer of everything. (laughs) This is so important. You understand who Christ is because, listen, it is that Jesus Christ that willingly gave his life on the cross of Calvary. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the creator. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And Colossians says that Jesus Christ created all things. Jesus Christ is God. And God is Jesus Christ. And by the way, when, when, the, when the Word says that He created all things, that means all. It doesn't mean some elect things. It means He created all things. Isaiah 43 and verse 15 says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Jesus Christ is the Creator of But he's also the maker of all things. And again, I gave you the illustration a second ago. You know, when God created the heaven and the earth and he he dried up the waters and dry land appeared. And and listen, God had made that physical earth. From that earth, he took the dust of the ground and he made a man. He made something that, that came from something that had already been created. And so Christ is not only creator, but he is the maker of all things. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word, capital W, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, by the Word. And by the way, if you, uh, if you just scroll down in John chapter 1 later, a few verses later, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. John says, we beheld his glory. But listen, go back to verse 3. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And again, Adam is a, a great example. God took the dust that he had created and he made a man. He made a man. So Christ is creator. Christ is maker. And then number three, Christ is the sustainer of all things. Colossians says that he is before all things. By him, all things consist. In other words, Jesus Christ is the binding agent of all things in this entire universe. I mean, without him, nothing would exist and nothing would consist. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8, uh, this is Hannah praying for a child, and, and she's in the temple, and, and uh, you know, she's, she's desiring children, and she's praying and just giving God the glory and, and just professing in prayer how awesome God is. She says in verse 8, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. Do you see that, that even Hannah understood that this earth is only established and consisting and existing because the Lord himself put the pillars in it. You say, well, science doesn't agree with that. Well, one day science will catch up with the Bible. One day science will catch up to the Word of God. The Bible says he has set the world upon them, those pillars. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, the Bible tells us that that in him we live and move and have our being 
John chapter 15 and verse 5, when Jesus says that he's the vine and, and we are the branches, he says, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Christ is the sustainer. He is the reason this entire universe hasn't fallen apart. He is the reason it exists. He is the reason it consists. Job chapter 12 and verse 10, it, the Bible tells us, In whose hand, in the Lord's hand, is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. You know, breath is a powerful topic that, that comes up a good bit in our news today, especially with COVID-19 and, 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 you know, this virus and people on respirators and ventilators. And, you know, that's a sign, and I'm, I'm certainly not mocking or minimizing what's happening in our world. But I want to tell you who holds the breath of all mankind. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator he is the maker. He is the sustainer of all things. Number four, the Bible tells us that Christ is the head of his body, the church. Jesus Christ is the head. Verse 18 says he is the head of the body, the church. And, and here's a key point that you want to get in your notes. Look, the Bible calls the church his body. His body. The church is his. It's his body. Ephesians 1, verses 22 to 23 says this, He hath put all things under his feet and gave him, Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And again, in Colossians 1 and verse 24, the Bible talks about that the church is his flesh and it's his body, which is called the church. And I just want to say, listen, Christ alone is the head of the church. He's the central authority. He's the commanding voice. He is the head connected to his body, and he alone deserves that, that position. I tell people all the, all the time, you know, people want to know at our church, well, who, who runs the church at Community Fellowship Baptist? Is it, is it pastor-led? Is it deacon-led? Is it committee-led? No, it's Jesus-led. It's Jesus-led, and Jesus delegates his authority through his word, and we just submit to that because he is the head of this church and should be the head of every church. Number five, Jesus Christ is preeminent. He is preeminent. Verse 18 says that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so in your notes, look, there's a little spot for a definition. The, the word preeminent means to hold the first place, to hold the superior place in one's life. So Christ is preeminent, and, and, and by the way, the verse says that he's to be preeminent in all things, and all means all in the Bible. So the question is, does Christ have the preeminence in my life? Does he have the preeminence in your life? You say, well, yes. Well, let me ask it another way. Is he first in all things in your life? Is he first in all the relationships that you have? Is he first in all the time that you spend? Is he first as it relates to your finances? Is he first as it relates to your choices and your decisions? Does he have superiority in all things? Because he is preeminent. And he should have the preeminence in our life. And here's a, key, here's a key consideration that we need to think about. Listen, if we don't position Jesus 
to have the preeminence in our life. If we don't position him to have the preeminence, we will always position someone else or something else in his place. You see, if Jesus, you know, not to quote the great prophet Ricky Bobby, but if you're not first, you're last. And there's a lot of Christians, and I'm joking, and my worship team now is making fun of me, but that's okay. You know, there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. There's a lot of wisdom, because if Christ is not preeminent, well, it doesn't matter where he falls in that scale, he's last. He deserves the preeminence. He deserves to hold the place of first. He deserves to have the place of superiority in our life. That's who he is. You know, the Bible tells us about a man in in 3 John named Diotrephes. And the Bible says that that this man is a lot like many Christians in our world. I wrote into the church, but Diotrephes, John writes, and he says, who loveth to have the preeminence among them receiveth us not. You know, here was a guy that was in a church that, that John was, was addressing personally, and, and he just kind of mentions this man as an example who loved to have the preeminence more than Christ. In other words, he wanted to be first. He wanted to have superiority, so much so that he didn't receive the apostles, he didn't receive John, and he also ran other people out of the church because he himself wanted to have preeminence. Church, listen, you got to answer the question, does Christ truly have preeminence in your life? And you can measure that by how much time you spend with him, how much authority he really has over your choices, over your decisions. Are you, are you walking in obedience and, and in submission to him, or do you expect him to submit to you and, and be the the the, the you know, the magic genie in the bottle to, to bless everything that you've decided. Listen, give Christ the preeminence because he is God. And so you may be asking, hey, when are we going to talk about Easter? Well, well now. <laughs> but it's important that we take the time to see what the Word of God really says about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Because that is who died on the old rugged cross for your sin and for mine. You see, the Jesus that is God is the Jesus that died for your sin. The Jesus that is the firstborn of every creature and the firstborn from the dead, that Jesus is the Jesus that died for your sin. The Jesus that's creator, maker, and sustainer of all things, that's who died for your sin. The Jesus that's the head of the church and the Jesus that deserves the preeminence in all things, it is that Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, which leads us to our last point this morning. Last but certainly not least, it is this Jesus who is Savior. It is this Jesus who is Savior. And I told you we'd get back to verse 14. And so here it is. In verse 14, this section of text begins like this. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then if we skip down to verse 20, here's the bookend on this same section. It says, having made peace 
through the blood of his cross, by him, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. I want you to understand that this section about the preeminence of Christ, the superiority of Christ, it begins and it ends with the blood of Jesus Christ. This is who died for our sin. He is the God-man. He is the creator, maker, sustainer. He has the preeminence. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn. And this is who was willing to lay down his life and pay a ransom that we could not pay to redeem us back to God. Three things and we're done this morning. Number one, because Jesus Christ is Savior, number one, we have redemption. We have redemption. The word redemption means a payment of a ransom to bring about deliverance. And listen, our salvation is free to us, but it did cost a price. And it cost the Lord Jesus Christ the shedding of his blood, innocent blood, God's blood to redeem us back to God. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption, oh, by the way, through his blood. You see, a lot of modern versions of of the Bible attack not only the deity of Christ, but they attack the blood atonement. Colossians says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, oh, by the way, through his blood. You see, without the blood of Christ, there is no redemption. And a Bible that attacks and, and removes portions of Scripture that attack his deity or the blood atonement makes me wonder, what are, you, what are you really trying to hide? What are you trying to change? You see, without the redemption through Jesus Christ's shed blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9 and verse 12 says this, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once unto the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have redemption. Acts chapter 20 and and verse 28, again, this teaches us that God's blood was what paid the price for our sin. Paul, when he's addressing the, the elders at Ephesus, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Listen, which he hath purchased God hath purchased with his own blood. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And through his blood, friend, we can have redemption. Well, not only can we have redemption, but, but, but secondly, because Jesus Christ is Savior, the Bible assures us we can have peace. We can have peace. Jesus Christ made peace with God, for us, through His blood on the cross. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, many of you, I think the whole world knows John 3.16, and I'm thankful for that. But there are some verses that actually follow John chapter 3, verse 16. It's verses 17 and 18, and so we want to keep reading. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what a tremendous promise from God's word. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but 
He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, the truth is you can never have the peace of God in your life until you make peace with God. And the only way you can make peace with God is through the blood of His cross, through the Lord Jesus Christ and His atonement for our sin. But friend, listen, once you experience that, well, you have the peace of God that literally passes all understanding. How in the world could God love me, God forgive me, God bless me, God give me His Holy Spirit? I am just a sinful, broken man. I don't understand it. It is really, truly the peace that passes all understanding, and yet God says we can have His peace through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we just believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, listen, through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have faith in the finished work of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, His his atonement for our sin, when we put our faith in Him and His finished work, well, it makes peace between us and God. It makes peace. God is no longer condemning me as an unbeliever. God now extends His peace to me, and He'll do that for you too. Lastly, not only, not only is Jesus Christ uh, Savior, and because of that we have redemption, and then we have peace. Lastly, the Bible teaches that we have reconciliation. We have reconciliation. In other words, to reconcile something means to bring into agreement two opposing parties. And in our sin and in our unrighteousness, listen, it's what separated us from God. It ultimately is what God what put God's Son on the cross. It was my sin and your sin and the sin of the entire world. And so through Christ, God is now reconciling back into harmony two opposing parties, God and man. Colossians 1 and verse 21 says this, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And he reconciled us through his cross and through his shed blood. And that's the message of Easter. I mean, that's the, that's the victory that Christ has over death, hell, and the grave. Because he is Savior, he can redeem us, he can give us his peace, and he can reconcile us back to God. You say, well, Jay, you know, how do I do that? Well, the way you do it is just by faith. You take who Christ is and what he's done, and you, you put your faith and trust in him to save you from your sin. You know, the greatest opportunity I can give you on Easter Sunday is to remind you that salvation is free, but it did cost Jesus Christ everything. It cost him his life. Jesus Christ is God. He's the firstborn. He's the creator, maker, sustainer. He is the head. He has the preeminence on all things. And listen, he is the Savior. The question is, is he your Savior? The question is, have you come to Jesus Christ and asked him to save you from your sin. You know, I was thinking about Easter, and, and, and again, when we celebrate that every day as a child of God, and there's not a day that goes by in my life that God doesn't bring me back to July 11th, 1997, when, when my best friend in college took the time to just share the gospel of Jesus Christ with me, and he, and he just made it simple. 
He took the Word of God and showed me through the Scriptures that, that God's Word says that I'm a sinner and we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we are separated from God. He's holy, we're not. And listen, at the age of 21, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing for me to understand that I was a sinful man. And he showed me that the wages of my sin is death. But not just physical death, but spiritual death separated from God for an eternity. And I said, man, that sounds like really bad news. And he said, that is bad news. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And I knew in my mind and believed that the story of Jesus was real. I knew intellectually that that historical event some 2,000 years ago happened. And I really believed that that thing happened. But for me, I didn't piece together that I was guilty in my sin before a holy and righteous God. And that Jesus Christ on that cross died for my sin. And so on that night, July 11th, 1997, I bowed my head and I asked Christ to come into my heart, come into my life, and to save me. Acknowledging that He is God and that it's His shed blood that could make atonement for my sin. And guys, listen. There wasn't some uh, angelic chorus that happened after I asked the Lord to do that. I, there wasn't some kind of uh, light from heaven. As a matter of fact, it was about 11.30 at night. And, uh, you know, nothing good happens at 11.30 at night except for the gospel. And when the gospel's preached, good things can happen. And I bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ to save me. And, and by faith in Him, the Word of God says, at that moment I was saved. I was saved. And friends, listen, you may be listening today and you say, well, I don't know if I've ever done that in my heart and life. I may know the history of Jesus. I may believe the historical facts. It really boils down to the fact, is he your Savior? Is he your Savior? And right now, I just want to ask you, listen, if you're listening today on the live stream or, or maybe you listen to this later and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you bow your head and ask him right now to save you from your sin? All you have to do is confess that you're a sinner separated from God. And you have to confess that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and He died on the cross for your sin. And through His death, burial, and resurrection, you can have forgiveness through His blood, through His shed blood, God's blood, that paid the price that God required. And so if you're watching today, if you would, just bow your head, and I would ask to lead you in a prayer, and, uh, and it's your faith in the finished work of Christ that can save you. And so today, if, if you'd like to make that decision, you can right now as we pray. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. And I confess that my sin is what separates me from you. I know I've broken your heart, I've broken your law. I know that my sin makes me guilty in God's courtroom. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ died for my sin. And today I ask Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. I recognize that he is God in the flesh. I recognize that his shed blood is the price of redemption. And today I ask him to save me from my sin. Father, I do this by faith, not by any works of righteousness, which I can do, but I do it by faith alone in the person of Jesus Christ. And I ask you to save me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, and by faith accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, number one, let's rejoice together. I mean, that's, a, that's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Number two, if you did that, let us know. <laughs> reach out to us on Facebook, reach out to us on YouTube, or, uh, or, or even through the uh, Bible study app, and uh, let us know through the prayer request link. Let us know that you prayed to receive Christ today, because we want to help you begin your walk as a child of God. 
And uh, thank you again for being here today. Listen, we, again, uh, not normal Easter service for us, but anytime the gospel and the word of God's able to go for us, we're going to rejoice in that. And so thank you again for joining us. We're going to put the slide back up for prayer requests. Uh, and so again, if you want to scan that QR code, we'll give you just about maybe 15, 20 seconds to scan that and submit a prayer request. Thank you again for joining us, and I pray that you all have a wonderful Easter with your family. God bless.